you guys for being here. It's happy Father's Day to all of the fathers out there. Happy Mother's Day to the mothers who have to be fathers because they don't have a father in the home and uh, they double up. And uh, uh, it's a it's a marvelous day. Uh, I appreciate you being here this morning. What we're doing this summer right now is we're going through what I'm calling the Jesus devotionals. It's it's the counterpart to the series that we were doing where we found Jesus in the Old Testament. So just as we would find pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament through the stories and the prophecies and and the, the, the things that God supplied for us in Scripture, so in the New Testament, when we look at Jesus, we better understand who God is. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament and the God of today. So in a sense, that's where we are. Now, this is a class. These aren't sermons per se. This isn't the church service itself. And so I get to, to throw in a few extra educational matters in here. And I need, uh, I see there are some people, maybe because it's Father's Day, but I see some younger people than we, we often have in here. So I need to know if you grew up, and by grew up, I mean started you know, listening to music and really becoming aware of culture and the world around you. So that's going to be high school, middle school, college. If you grew up sometime in the 1990s or later, raise your hand. If that's those are your high school days. Okay. Okay. Thank you. We've got a lot of you. I feel it incumbent upon me to help educate you about culture that you missed <laughs> by being so young. And last week, if you were here, we did it with three very important songs that you needed to know. This week, we've got one song, but we're going to play it three times because you need to know it. This comes out of the 1960s. It was a marvelous time. <laughs> the 1960s were vibrant. They were colorful. They were a time of social change. They were a time where the old was shed and the new put on. What happened culturally in America, we're digressing. I promise we're going to study the Bible in a minute. This is, this is introductory. So what happened in America is really interesting. If you go back to the early 1900s, most people grew up, did their education, and started working well before they finished their teenage years. Very few people went to college. Not everybody, in fact, very few finished high school. Most gals got married before they were 18. And it wasn't until the Great Depression hit that some major changes were made in economic policies of the United States. And these changes in economic policies changed society and development. So in the 1930s, as you've got the Great Depression, there aren't enough jobs to go around. 
So one of the first groups that quit working were children. Laws were passed, child labor laws, figuring that instead of letting the 12 and 13 year olds work in the factory, those jobs needed to go to the older people. So they passed child labor laws that stopped child labor. Now what are you going to do with the 13 year old who doesn't have a job? You keep them in school. So schools started expanding with the idea that everyone should have to stay in school longer. And the idea of maximizing everyone. You've got World War II that breaks out. And a lot of people go off. And then after World War II, when they come back, now all of a sudden, you've got people who are 16, 17, 18, who are still in school, who aren't in the workforce, who aren't married, And yet they've hit that point where they get kind of independent and rebellious in spirit, if not actually independent in economic means. And so you have the era that's seen in the TV show Happy Days. And you've got Fonzie. And you've got all of that kind of stuff. And you've got the rebellion that spawns a change in music. And a change in other things as well. And so you roll into the 1960s and you've got profound changes. Now here's the key. Jesus says, don't put new wine in old wineskins or the wineskins will break. The gospel is new every day. It's new every generation. And in the 1960s, the gospel that hits this new era of people in a new culture, in a new place, didn't always fit in its parents' forms. And so you have the rise of Jesus music and the Jesus movement. And if you weren't around for the 1960s and early 70s, you missed that. Late 60s, early 70s. It expanded not only into churches, but beyond churches. It it made it on the radio. It made it on Broadway. As the, 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 the culture changed and became new, and the new gospel is fed into that, and it broke the old norms. So here's what I want to tell you. All of that's introduction to tell you you're going to get some 60s culture today. And that's okay. It's an old wineskin now, maybe for you, and you've got new forms, and that's good. But the old one was mighty sweet. So you'll just have to excuse us. Now, here's where we're starting this morning. I told you in the Old Testament, you see pictures of Jesus. You see it in the sacrifice that Abraham was called to make of Isaac. You see it in the prophetic words in Isaiah and other places. You see it in the, the Exodus, in the slaying of the Passover lamb and, and, and Pesach and all that's involved in that. You see so many pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, when you see Jesus, you see God. And Jesus helps reveal who God was that was of limited vision to people in Old Testament days. 
In John 12, 44 through 45, Jesus cries out and he says, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me, you see him who sent me. Jesus is the reflection of God. When you see Jesus, you see God. One of the hardest things for me to do as a trial lawyer is to take a concept that is strange to many of of the jury and to explain it to them in a way that makes sense. It's, it's hard for me to do, but, but it's challenging, but it's fun. It's some of the joy of trial. And there are different ways that, that I try to do it. There are different educational tools, but it's taking something that's difficult to understand and putting it into a form and a format where people can follow. So, for example, right now I'm trying a case in St. Louis, Missouri. And in this case, in the coming weeks, I will be putting on uh, uh, some expert witnesses to help a jury understand how a woman who breathes asbestos and talcum powder, how that talcum powder and asbestos can go from her nose into her lungs into her lymph system, into her ovaries, and how the asbestos can cause ovarian cancer. Now, if I've got doctors on the jury, that's not a hard problem. I can just lay it out there. The doctors see it. They understand it. They learned in medical school how this stuff works. Bam, we're done. The problem is doctors never serve on juries. They get out of it. So the people I've got on the jury, I've got a few people who have some graduate degrees and college degrees, but I've got a few people that didn't finish high school. So I've got to try and explain that so that they all understand it. Now, God, just today, don't count the past. He's got seven billion plus on this earth. And they range from highly educated to little or no formal education. They range from a hundred years old to just barely becoming aware of the idea of who God may be. They range from the churched to the pagan. And God's going to reveal himself. Truly. Not fully. God can never be revealed fully. He's infinite. We can't comprehend the infinite. But that doesn't mean he can't reveal himself truly. In true ways. So God's going to reveal himself truly to all of these people. Well, you get some in the Old Testament. You read the scriptures, the holy oracles of God, as Paul called them. They got entrusted to the Jews for millennia. 
You read those and you get a glimpse of God. You begin to understand Him. You can take passages like Pastor David did this morning from Psalm 103 that speak about God and you can get some glimpses. But it's not always as sharp a focus as we need. So God says, I'm sending Jesus not simply to die for your sins but also to reveal who I am. See, Jesus brings God into focus. We, we, we read the Old Testament and some of those passages are, are troublesome. It looks like, gee, God's, you know, uh, yeah, you've got Psalm 103 that David's reading, but over here he seems kind of short-tempered. Over here he seems reactionary. Over here he seems overly primitive. Because over the thousands of years where God was revealing himself that we consider the era of the Old Testament, He's got different peoples and he's trying to reveal himself in different ways. But at the right time, Jesus comes and says, if you see me, you see God. So let me bring God into focus so that you better understand who God is. And that's what Jesus did. So when we see Jesus, we see God. You want to know what God is like? Look to Jesus. Make sense? So I want to see him more clearly. And that's my to-do list. And young people, that's your song. You need this song in your life. Do we have sound? goes on love that song okay so the song comes out of the broadway play godspell which is almost the sermon on the mount with jesus but it's jesus as a hippie it's the hippie movement and that's one of the songs that's sung coming out of the sermon on the mount which is what we're looking at now this morning so let's talk about how jesus will you see jesus You see God. You see Jesus. You see that God is a God of comfort. Look at this passage. Blessed 
are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That passage reminds me of Alice in Wonderland. And let me tell you why. Some of you, is Mike Moriarty here this morning? Ah, there you are. And uh, not just Mike, Tim Wilson, probably several more of you, knew a judge in Houston. His name was David West. Now, Judge West was an engineer before he became a lawyer. And he was a judge who wore that black robe with authority. I was trying a case in his court one time, and the case involved a ladder. And the ladder, L-A-D-D-E-R, the ladder was built in such a way that it wasn't up to code. The treads were off. And it's important that the treads be up to code because all of us get used to it. And that's the way you make steps. And the guy's making steps down and he misses the tread because the tread's not there. And he falls and he gets hurt. So the other side, I'd put on my case and I'm finished with my case and the other side's putting on their case. The other side put an engineer up there that politely speaking I would call a jukebox witness. <laughs> put in your money, you tell him what song you want him to sing and he sings it. And I'm cross-examining him. And I've, I've, I've caught him. And instead of admitting he's been caught, he tries to weasel out of it. And Judge West had about all he could take. And he leans forward and he says to the bailiff, Bailiff, Take the jury back to the jury room right now. Right now. He talked in this short, clippy way. And bailiff looks up. The jury looks up. I look up. Right now. Right now. Get him back here. Get him back to the jury room. I got to say something. They're not allowed to hear it. <laughs> jury gets up, runs back in the jury room, and he's yelling loud enough. I'm be shocked if they didn't hear it. But he looked at that engineer and he said, listen to me. I was an engineer before I went to law school. And I know what the truth is. And this ain't no Alice in Wonderland court where little is big and big is little. <laughs> and you're lying. And I can tell you're lying and the jury can tell you're lying. And I'm not going to let you lie in my court. I'm not going to let you say up is down and down is up. I don't care how much you're getting paid. <laughs> Bailiff, bring the jury back in here. In my court is not Alice in Wonderland where little is big and big is little. I'll never forget that, I doubt. But it was interesting and it came to my mind. And this is one of those scriptures where it kind of comes to my mind because this almost looks like Alice in Wonderland if you don't dig into it. You see that word blessed? Blessed means, let's get it. Blessed. Blessed means happy or fortunate. Now, how can someone be happy if they're mourning? How can someone be makarios in the Greek, happy or fortunate, 
when they are mourning? The answer? Maybe it's in what the word mourning means. Pentheo in the Greek. Pentheo. But no, that means sad. Means grieving. So you've got this passage where Jesus says, happy and fortunate is someone who's sad or grieving. Now is Jesus living in Alice in Wonderland? Where little's big and big is little? No. No, he's not. And the reason why is he says, because they're going to be comforted. Parakaleo in the Greek. Comforted. You get, the, if you put it into a noun form, it becomes parakletos. Uh, paraclete. The comforter. Where Jesus says in John that he'll pray to the Father and the Father will send a comforter, the Holy Spirit. It means to be encouraged, to be cheered up. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that we worship a God of comfort. And there, we're fortunate, we're happy, we're blessed when we're sad because, or grieving, because we will have comfort, we'll have encouragement, we'll have good cheer if we have God. See, here's the deal. Everyone is going to mourn in this world. Everyone's got reason to be sad one day or another. This is not always a fun world. This, I have news for you. This is not heaven. This is a war zone. We live in the midst of a battle. God wins the battle. He won it on Calvary. But we're still in the battle zone. There's still an enemy who is miserable and misery loves company. And he's trying to make as many people miserable as he can. And this world is infected with wickedness and evil. And it doesn't make this world all yee-haw, yippee-ki-yay-yay. But God says that there's comfort, there's encouragement, there's cheering up for those who walk with Him. Everyone's going to grieve, but the one who's fortunate, the one who's happy, is the one who has someone who will cheer them up. And in that way, Jesus is bringing God into focus. We understand that God is one who loves us enough to reach out in the midst of our grief, our sadness, and to touch us and hold us and comfort us and encourage us and love us. Now that stirs up a response in me. I hope it does you. 
Here's my response. It's a to-do list. Some of you young people are saying, I know that song. Oh, just wait. You will by the time class is over. Three things I pray. We already had to see thee more clearly. But here's the second one. I want to love Jesus more dearly. I mean, this is the Jesus who loves us and comforts us. And so we've got that there as well. Um, So let me tell you more of how Jesus reveals God. Jesus reveals God also as the God of righteousness. Look at this passage. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Look, I live hungry. I don't mind telling you. I live hungry. I'm on this weirdo eating program right now. For six days, I tried not to really eat much of anything. Try to avoid what I call the white demon. That's white sugar, white flour, white potatoes, white rice. And I try to avoid fried foods. Now let's just be candid. I've basically taken out the five important food groups in my life. (laughs) Fried, white sugar, white flour, white potatoes, and white rice. I mean, six days a week, I just say no. But every Saturday, we have what has become known in my family as free eats day. It starts with breakfast. Then you have second breakfast. (laughs) Because you can't really call the donuts that you eat at Shipley's as they're coming off the assembly line hot the only breakfast, when an hour later you're at Chick-fil-A getting the chicken biscuits. <laughs> and that's got to last. Sometimes you have to have two of those because you don't go to eat Mexican food until noon. Because <laughs> you got to get that done early enough to where the pizza you have that night has room to sit in your stomach. Recognizing you'll be filling up a few spaces along the way with cookies and cake and ice cream. Which really works well on the eating program because by Saturday night, you're dying. You are dying. You look at your wife and you say, I'm never eating again. And that lasts until about Tuesday Then about Wednesday, you start getting pretty hungry. But you think, I have free eats day coming up on Saturday. I just have to make it till then. So I'm real sensitive to this hungering idea. There is something within us that hunger, what a great way to describe it. Thirsty, what a great way to describe it. 
And Jesus says, happy and fortunate are the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Satisfied. Cortazzo in the Greek. It means fed. But it also is an expression of experiencing inward satisfaction. So this is a word in the Greek, cortazzo, that can be talking about feeding someone. But it's also being filled, being satisfied. So Jesus said, blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're going to get fed. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You're not just going to get fed. You're going to get satisfied. So you're getting fed. This, this has truth on so many different levels. Now, why? Well, first level is, if you desire righteousness that much, if you hunger for it, if you thirst for it, You'll go get it. I mean, some people, some people just don't want it. Some people are, yeah, 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 righteousness, fine, there's a time and place for that. But in general, I'm happy with life. There's a blessing, there's a fortune that you're missing if you do not hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you hunger and thirst for God. You want God to, to, to be what you consume. You want God to be what gives you energy and nourishment. You want God to be the source of, of life. You want to see Jesus because you see Jesus and you see God. And you know righteousness is God because Jesus was righteous. Now Paul will tell the Romans that no one is righteous, not one, quoting the Psalms. We're not righteous on our own. But through the work of Jesus, we get His righteousness counted to us. And by following Jesus, we learn to walk more righteously. Sadek in the Hebrew is the word for righteous. And it doesn't always just mean perfect. Nobody's perfect. Paul said that. But it does mean trying to walk in the life, in the footsteps that Jesus modeled. Living a godly life will make you happy. Living a godly life will bring you good fortune. Doesn't mean it all works out each moment the way you'd like it to. I'm telling you, it's a war zone. Scripture doesn't pull any punches. But you can walk in the midst of that war zone with an inward joy the world will never understand and it's grown in you the more you grow to be like Jesus. So that's what I want. This is Jesus bringing God into focus. This is 
on my to-do list. My to-do list is... Oh, I know this song. My to-do list is not just one or two things. It's three. So number one is what? Number two? And what's number three? Follow thee more nearly. Okay. That song's going to be stuck in your head all day long if I have my way. Let me tell you, God's not just those things, but God is more. We have an attentive God. Look at Matthew 5.10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay. I'm telling you, the Bible doesn't pull punches. Life is not fair. That's why it's spelled L-I-F-E instead of F-A-I-R. Life's not fair. Things are going to happen to you and me that aren't fair. Bad things are going to happen to good people. People get cancer that don't deserve cancer. Sometimes evil and wicked people win the lottery while good people are trying to figure out how to pay the bills. You would think the lottery winnings would only go to tithers. But it doesn't happen that way. So not only do bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people. Life's not fair. It's this weird deal. Life is not fair, but life is amazing. Let me, let me tell you why I've, I've got this picture up here. If you're listening to this as a podcast, I put a picture of amaze, both because I like the pun of life is amazing and because I had a point I wanted to make. See, here in this world, there are certain things that are true. Okay, I'm going to figure out how to make this just a little... There. That's good. Maybe. Let's see if this works. Probably won't. Um, in this world in which we live, there are some things that are true. Here's one of them. There is evil. And that evil is pernicious. It breeds. 
that evil becomes next-gen evil, evil 2.0. You with me? Do you know what happens to evil 2.0? It breeds. It breeds more evil, and it becomes evil 3.0. Now, there's some redemption that comes in. That's not to say God's not working. It's not to say that his people aren't able to come in and to help convert some of the evil, neutralize some of the evil. But this is still present in our world. And all of us get polluted by it. And I'd love to tell you, since I teach your class, that I am evil free. But that's not true. It's not true for any of us. Oh, I wish I was. But I'm not. And I'm not only someone who has to recognize that I'm fallen, but all of this evil that's out there, sometimes it bounces into you. Sometimes you come into contact with it. And when you do, the evil has an effect on you. It can hurt. It can rob you of life. It can rob you of joy. It can take away a loved one. This world's not heaven. This world is a war zone. And it's a war zone between good and evil. Between God and those forces that line up against him. Now here's what happens. God in this world is going to bring it to completion and fruition. And there's going to come a time where those who are his children get transported out of this existence into an eternity which is a world that is good. Where evil is deceased, dead, gone, burned in the lake of fire. And goodness reigns. And we get to live in a world of goodness. That's that's the story. This is made possible by the cross of Jesus. The cross of Jesus is the meeting place where death happens to evil and sin. And resurrection and new life comes to those who pass through judgment. That's the gospel. That's the story. We live now in this evil world knowing where our destiny is when this battle is finally finished. That's the gospel story. But because we live here in this world and because people have choice and people can do things... People can choose to drive a car when they are drunk. God does not suspend the laws of nature. People can, can, can run over 
someone because they're driving drunk and kill them. And it's a horrible, horrible thing. Two-year-olds can fall into a swimming pool because maybe someone just turns their head away for a moment. And it's a horrible, horrible thing. We live in a world where horrible things happen. But we live as God's people. And so when those horrible things intersect in our lives, we have an assurance. And our assurance is our eternity belongs on the other side of the cross. It belongs somewhere else. Does that make sense? And that's why it's amazing if we go back to the PowerPoint. We have an attentive God who's paying attention. And you may have to turn right and you may have to turn left. And this life is a maze where things happen that you never dreamed. And, and misdirections and things that run into you that you didn't mean for them to run into you. Where you didn't mean to turn. All of the rest of that stuff. But you know that you're blessed and you're fortunate because you belong to the kingdom of heaven. And you know... Blessed are those who are persecuted simply because you're righteous. You're in the right standing with God. And that evil comes against you. And something bad happens to you. But that's okay. You can endure it with joy in your heart because you know the kingdom of heaven is coming. And that is amazing. Next. The God of fulfillment. Make sure I'm on track here. Ah, we've got a couple. So I've got five minutes to get through two of these. Jesus said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. This is the God of fulfillment. When Becky and I first got married, Becky drinks coffee in the morning. I don't. I don't drink coffee. I'm the only one in the house who doesn't, except for Will. He doesn't really like it either. But all of the ladies, they're like addicts. <laughs> and the day does not start until the first cup is consumed. Amen. I'm getting lots of amens out there. And so when we were first married, I used to think, wouldn't this be great? I'm going to show my wife I love her. I wake up before her. I'm going to get her a cup of coffee. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't mess with someone's coffee. Evidently, there's like all these rules about how you make it. <laughs> I mean, it looks to me like you just put in some hot water and stir in some of those grounds. It ought to be fine. Evidently not. So I used to watch her. Because I was going to try to figure it out. Well, she wants that first cup of coffee to be a lot. Now, my wife is a, is, is, is a woman of moderation. She's the exact opposite of me. I, she's moderate in everything that, that, that she should be moderate in. Except coffee. She wants that first cup to be so full. And she puts like milk or cream or something in her coffee. So she'll pour that cup almost to the top. 
And then she'll start adding the cream. Well, you know what happens. <laughs> so I learned that I would start making her some coffee, I thought. And she would say, well, I'll go ahead and make my own. She didn't want to, she was trying to politely say, uh, you don't know how to make coffee where it tastes right. But she didn't want to say it that way. So she's not, she doesn't want to say it as a negative. So she says it as a positive instead. It's kind of like, well, I know how much milk to add, so I'll just make it. That's so sweet of you, though. Thank you. And I said to her one time, I said, I know how much milk to add. And she said, really? I said, yeah, you do it until it's running over the sides. I see that every day. God is the God of fulfillment. He'll run over the edge to make sure you got enough. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill them. Jesus doesn't meet 90% of what Jesus, God said the Messiah would do. He's 110%. Jesus isn't here 24-7. He's here 25-8. He's above the top. He's super abundantly God. He didn't come to abolish anything God set out. He came to fulfill it. He is the God who set it out. And that's the way He is in our life. He's there to fulfill your life. He's there to give you everything. Last devotional. Matthew 6.1 The motive uh, searching God. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. But then you'll have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. I was writing these devotionals. This one jumped out at me. I have an issue here. I get to stand up and teach. And do you know when I stand up and teach, sometimes some of you come up and say, that meant a lot to me. And that just brings me joy. Makes me feel like I'm not useless in the Father's kingdom. Makes me feel like what I've gone through in my life, if I can share some of it with other people, may help them where they are. But I've got to be real careful because I'm an affirmation junkie. I like to be affirmed. I like it when I get those emails that say, hey, here's some good stuff you did. And if you're an affirmation junkie like me, let me warn you and tell you, we need to be careful and always remember the reasons we do things that we do. We don't do it so that people will be happy and impressed. We do it out of service to the Father. So just be careful. That's a warning. We have a listening God. Um, I don't have time to do this one. But I will, yeah, we'll do it real fast. When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. They think they're going to be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. There's a book I was required to read when I first started practicing law, The Elements of Style by Shrunk and White. Rule number one was omit needless words. When you write, omit needless words. You don't want to heap up Batalogeo is the Greek. Batalogeo. Logeo means to speak. Bata is just an onomatopoeia. It means to babble. 
You know, and in fairness to the Greeks, they did have to babble to their God with lots of words because their gods weren't always paying attention. But our God pays attention. He's listening. So you don't have to heap up a bunch of empty... He's not into word count. Pray and lay your heart before him in genuineness. That's what he wants. That's what our Father wants on Father's Day and every other day. So I want to bless you in the name of Jesus, and then I have an incredible slide for you to walk out to so you don't forget class, okay? In the name of Jesus, I ask God to bless you with with joy, with comfort, and with all that you need to sustain you in this coming week, that he'll draw you near him. Amen.